You're listening to Marcus Sahaba Online Radio Podcast. The time for us to join our very own Ibrahim Badacha, my Ibrahim Ba, on his segment, uh, Travel Express. Ba, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And tell me, how are you doing this fine, beautiful evening? Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, brother Shafat and our listeners out there. Alhamdulillah, it's a beautiful evening out there, unlike uh, Sunday, where we had a bit of a storm. And uh, we are grateful for that. Despite the damages caused, we are still alive, still hale and hearty and in a much better situation than others in, uh, you know, in view of what's going on in the Middle East. So we should be thankful and grateful to the Creator for giving us life and another day and uh, in relative uh, peace and quiet. No, absolutely, Ba. And as you notice, there are a lot of storms coming through, uh, you know, especially during the nights, you know, a lot mm-hmm. of people are sleeping. But uh, we, you know, Allah has been good to most of us where, you know, we're living in our concrete jungles and sometimes we don't even hear uh, what's going on. But when you get up in the morning, you see trees, uh, trees being uprooted. You find that some window panes crack, some roofs have uh, flown away. And but when you look in the yonder in the horizon and, you know, near your area, you'll find that there's some uh, informal settlement. But they have the worst of it all. But uh, within an hour or so, the uh, government officials are there and it's built within two days, Abba. Uh, And and these people, they know they're in uh, the eye of the storm and then areas which are compromised, which are on river banks and so forth. And, you know, they can uh, just fall like like a cliff. The one Mm -hmm. that when you, you you know, when you go to that NMJ, you found those buildings, those uh, informal settlements there, yeah. literally built on a, on on a cliff. Um, government del- deliberately, maybe you know, is not addressing this issue. What's one of the reasons, Ba? Well, I think uh, the enormity of the problem itself and the absolute abject failure of the government to keep its promises to the uh, to the uh, people. You know, the uh, people that we consider to be poor, you know, those that have fallen below the subsistence level. And uh, it's all very well to make uh, bombastic, uh, you know, predictions and uh, promises during uh, election uh, campaigning. And it's another thing altogether when it comes time to deliver. And uh, I think uh, this is what the problem is. And you will notice and... uh, this has no racist or other connotations. The majority of these settlements seem to find and take root right on top of, if not next to relatively Indian uh, speaking or Indian background uh, areas. You don't see them so much in the white areas as you find them sitting cheek by jowl in the Indian areas. And I think maybe they find the the Indian uh, people more receptive or helpful toward them. I'm not sure, but uh, there is a tendency, wherever you look, you'll find it. Yeah, but I mean, uh, you are spot on there. And uh, maybe, you know, when it comes to helping and uh, magnanimity and so Mm -hmm. forth, and then you find those from the same areas, the uh, thieves and all that come, and they rob the same Indians that were helping them. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, without any... uh, uh, what do you say, conscience, and which is yeah. uh, sad indeed. There's a question of biting the hand that feeds you, basically. That's what it is. Nothing mm. Yeah. No, I, I, I know. And and coming back to, you know, to complete the answer to that question, the thing is, I don't think the uh, government of the day gives a damn. 
not there there are many governments uh, still left uh, that are not uh, controlled by the deep state, uh, which is the people like the WEF, the IMF, the uh, big corporate like BlackRock and Vanguard and all the rest of them. So they don't give a damn about uh, people like you and me or the ordinary rank and file uh, citizen of the country. They only come around and show their faces, give a t-shirt or something, a blanket or something every four years, take the vote and off they go and uh, sadly that seems to be playing itself out everywhere, where they cannot garner the kind of support of votes. They just uh, rig the election and they get what they want at the end of the day. That unfortunately is the status quo in most of the world today. No, absolutely. Uh, you know, we always uh, mention this, uh, that the dregs of society have come into a position of power. Mm-hmm. Well, Abba, we talk about dregs of society, traffic woes, uh, plague tourists visiting Turkey. And uh, it seems as if Turkey uh, is still very popular, uh, relatively very, uh, you know, stable. Uh, why? Why is Turkey so popular, Ba? Well, Turkey is one of my favorite destinations. And for anyone who's been, uh, you know, traveling the world or has been to Turkey, uh, the uh, attraction and the allure is so uh plentiful, so diverse, that uh, I think uh, other places on earth will find it very difficult to uh, challenge that uh, sort of dominance they have insofar as offering such a wide uh, selection and array of attractions and and different uh, sort of uh, nuances and types of holidays one can uh, enjoy and experience uh, in, in a place like uh, Turkey. And I think uh, that is why it is, and it always will remain uh, very, very popular, if not the most popular destination. And the fact that it's a, it's a geographical location, you know, sitting astride uh, both Europe and Asia, is uh, what uh, lends to that allure. And of course, the fact that the uh, Western uh, suspects, uh, usual suspects, I would think, have literally destroyed its, uh, its currency and that is what makes it even more affordable and uh, more attractive a destination currently. And that is why even though uh, the world is facing uh, economic uh, downturns and things like that, uh, travel to Turkey is on the uh, uptick and in some areas just actually uh, booming to the extent that they have surpassed uh, the uh, pre-COVID stats and moving on from there. Uh, Coming to this uh, traffic walls you're talking about in Antalya, for those who don't know it, Antalya is basically the the main sort of uh, coastal attraction, you know, that uh, one finds, like you get the south of France and things like that. Uh, This is what it is in Turkey. And uh, to give you an indication of how populated, it anticipates well coming a record breaking get the 16 million visitors in this year alone. Okay, so it gives you an indication of how popular it is. And the head of uh, Antalya City Council's uh, Tourism Working Group highlighted that prolonged traffic jams have become a major complaint among uh, visitors, uh, diminishing their enjoyment. Uh, I think uh, the fact of the matter is that tourists spend more time in traffic from the airport to hotels and on their journey to Turkey itself. 
And uh, that is definitely something that is off-putting and they are looking at, uh, you know, trying to find ways and means of alleviating things. And of course, uh, the peak season there is between May and September each year. And this, of course, uh, serves to exacerbate the traffic problem. And uh, they're trying to find solutions uh, to the conditions and measures are being taken to expand uh, infrastructure capacity. And uh, this includes a comprehensive renovation and expansion project at the airport and sort of uh, aiming to double its uh, annual passenger uh, capacity from 40 to 80 million. And uh, the first phase is set to be complete in or around January of 2025. And uh, an advisor to the chairperson of the Association of Turkish Travel Agencies called for increased funding for road infrastructure modernization and to tackle that uh, growing traffic problem, emphasizing its national importance for the tourism industry. And of course, as we all know, tourism, as I always say, is the key industry if you really want to get your economy going, especially more so for Turkey in this, this uh, circumstances. And the uh, country has set a target of $56 billion in tourism turnover for this year alone. And that uh, amid a significant increase in foreign arrival, especially and particularly in uh, resorts like Antalya on the coast. Yeah, but you know, when you look at Turkey, it's a state that's you know relatively clean, pure. And you think of Turkey, you think about uh, the the cleanliness in the area, the organic food, and you know the type of uh, uh, ambiance you get the, the Mediterranean climate and so forth. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, you think of India and you think of New Delhi. It's, <laughs> hey, they can't see each other's faces there. Yeah, what went wrong with India, ba? The smog, the atmosphere is just so polluted, you know, even on uh, what is relatively a sunny day. Uh, the If you look up at the sun, you can look straight up at it, you know, it's not that it's going to be blinding because of the haze that sort of uh, literally blocks it out. And this is not just in, in India alone, it's in a lot uh, of the same uh, sort of uh, conditions and characteristics prevail in China because the atmosphere is just so uh, polluted that uh, it just blocks out uh, the the rays of the sun. And of course, that will have a sort of detrimental effect A, on the health of the people and of course, the, the climate in the area. So that's what uh, what is happening, you know. And fortunately, you know, the thing is, uh, visitors from overseas come that come to South Africa, they said, wow, your air is so clear, we can actually see the sky, it's so blue and things like that. And, we take it for granted, of course, but it's only when you go to places like this that you realize how lucky we are. No, absolutely. But, and uh, you know, when you looked at the Durban South Basin, mm. uh, I mean, I live uh, virtually, uh, people living in Mirbank and uh, you know, the Wentworth area, yeah. uh, they were virtually living in, 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 in polluted, uh, you know, in, yeah. uh, in, uh, in, in a polluted pool. That's what you would call it. Yeah, and they were and, right uh, in so, the valley, if you recall, right? that near yeah. bank, uh, basin over there. And the thing is, they were prone to all sorts of diseases that were, you know, respiratory and other diseases, just purely because of the fact that there was such a, a huge uh, sort of pollution of the atmosphere by the refineries and other manufacturing industries over there. Then your good friend uh, Desmond Dessa, I'm sure you're good friends with him. He got onto the bandwagon with uh, Professor Patrick Bond, took on engine and did a few other, you know, uh, 
environmental uh, studies and, uh, you know, with proof went to these individuals and uh, perhaps they got some results. But the Durban South Basin uh, is an industrial area and uh, these chemicals and these pollutants, how rife is it in this, uh, these areas? I, I believe that uh, SAPREF have, uh, you know, down, I mean, downsized or they have put filters in place. How true is it, Ba? Well, look, they, they will do what they can within reason and within, you know, and the thing is everything relates back to money and finance, as you know. What is doable, what is affordable and things like that, they'll do just to keep the dogs at bay, so to speak. But uh, by and large, wherever there's industry, you cannot, in all fairness, have uh, residential areas uh, cheek by jowl. And uh, I'm not just the South Basin, I mean, coming closer to uh, home, maybe like to places like Clearwood, the thing is there is that uh, huge industrial area, uh, Jacobs Industrial Area, the precinct that uh, their National Treasury is wanting us to sort of work with the people, with the industry uh, leaders over there and, uh, you know, try and clean up the area. But uh, again, coming back to the kind of industries they have over there and uh, the fact that uh, Clearwood uh, Racecourse is now one big industrial uh, park now. So, uh, and of course, across the road from there is Mobeni, as you know. So uh, it's a it's a big challenge. And I think uh, they will do the best they can in the circumstances. Of course, you'll get those that are committed to cleaning up the environment, the atmosphere and things like that. And those who just, uh, you know, willy nilly do what they please and to hell with the, the pollution and restrictions as far as they can get away with it. So it is a challenge. And uh, of course, that whole South Basin area, I, I think if you're looking from the city itself going south, right, you can say starting from Maiden Wharf, it's just one continuous industrial area going right down as far as uh, maybe Toti. Uh, if you're looking at Prospectum, just over the hill is Toti. So all that on either side of the railway tracks is mostly industrial. And uh, the thing is, there's a price to be paid wherever there is industry and uh, they, you're going to have... Uh, residential areas next to it, of course, they, they are going to suffer somewhat. You know, it might be something that one doesn't take into consideration, uh, you know, just looking at the situation. But uh, if you are talking <clears throat> critically and analytically about uh, sort of living conditions and, and uh, you know, atmospheric conditions, then of course, it all comes into perspective, it all comes into play. And the thing is, at the end of the day, it is up to the environmentalists and the government itself to make sure that they are, you know, on, uh, on top of the game and making sure that things are uh, sort of in uh, within uh, norms, if you can call it that, and uh, make sure that the uh, communities that live in and around there are protected. Well, uh, you know, Claywood has a history of a lot of Indians there, a lot of Indian culture. And, you know, recently they spoke about the indentured laborers coming through and they suddenly Claywood came into the four. They, they, they moved out from here to Cato Manor and some of them were in the cane fields. And the most of them came to Claywood. And then uh, our most of our businessmen uh, were in Jacobs. You know, there's a big history of the Jusubs and the, you know, the Suleiman and all the of them coming from uh, Jacobs uh, Bar. Jacobs are really uh, the pioneers of uh, maybe uh, KZ and business came from uh, that part of the world. Bar, what's your thoughts? Yeah, definitely. There's no denying that. I mean, Claude was predominantly Indian and, and, and most of the business people that sort of uh, really established themselves as household names and uh, 
you know, uh, people that uh, businesses that that were really uh, sort of outstanding, despite uh, the what's the name restrictions and the uh, uh, conditions, uh, the unfair condition trading conditions that were prevalent during the time of apartheid. I think it was that uh, the challenge that made them what they are and what they turned out to be. You know, the thing is, they say mother is uh, uh, necessity is the mother of invention. And I think uh, it was because of that. And I think we can speak for ourselves as well, but the fact that we were under such duress and such under such challenging condition that we had to rise to the occasion and, and do the extraordinary to stay on top of things. And uh, yeah. I think uh, the Indian community acquitted itself uh, admirably in that place under the circumstances and, you know, kudos to them. No, absolutely. And uh, they, I mean, you look at some of those homes uh, in Clearwood uh, that have been left, you know, uh, you know, inhabited uh, or uninhabited uh, because of uh, it's becoming a trucking area and so <laughs> forth. And those homes had a lot of character, ba. Oh, absolutely. You know, if the, if the walls could speak, you'd hear stories like you've never heard. Mm. I can tell you that much. Mm. Really nostalgia coming through there, Ba. Hey, have you got, how's the cat? Is it near you? Uh, I just banished her to the other side. I shut the door on her. Yeah. Oh, she wants to come in. Yeah, she'll come and I sit on the keyboard. Yeah, that's what she'll do. Uh, okay, no, poor thing. She's looking for your attention, Ba. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Hey, China, same, uh, uh, what's it, uh, Tiananmen, what's it, Tiananmen, the mountain shatters uh, pre uh, previous tourist number records. Even China's doing well in the tourism field, uh, like Turkey, bah? Yeah, China, well, China's got such a wealth of, uh, you know, uh, tourism and uh, attractions to offer. I mean, it's such a large country, you know, and uh, it is a beautiful country, make no mistake. I've been there many times, and if you leave the main sort of industrial and other hubs and cities and go out into the country. It's got a lot to offer as well. Uh, coming to this Tianmen Mountain, yeah, it shatters the all uh, previous tourist uh, records. Uh, I'm not sure those of our listeners who are moviegoers or who will recall the uh, movie that was called, what, Avatar. It was filmed in the very same area. Quite, it's such an... Uh, Unreal, you know, it's surreal, sort of. It, you you think it's it's otherworldly, the some of the natural uh, sort of vistas that you find over there. And it's in that famous uh, Zhang Jiajie, uh Park, where where they call it. It's a special reserve and scenic area, like uh, you know, it's very very popular. And it's in central China, and uh, it set a new tourism record for 2023 surpassing the other high of 2019 and uh, this renowned natural forest park uh, and 5a rated so that tells you how popular and how uh, you know much uh, it is uh, valued tourist destination has, has welcomed over 5 million visitors this year alone exceeding the 2019 high of 4.74 so it's just growing in stature and in popularity purely because if it's it's a one off really if you've been there then you'll know what you're looking at and uh, it it's opened quite late uh, just in September 2005 and uh, thus far the uh, the mountain has hosted more than 37 million visitors 
And of course, uh, this is what is spurring growth to uh, tourism in China in no small way. And uh, the thing is, even though uh, there were challenges from COVID and things like that, the scenic area has seen a steady rise in domestic tourists and a recovery on inbound tourism. And uh, to manage the increase in flux, Tianmen Mountain has implemented innovative measures, measures such as staggered booking periods and an intelligent uh, entry system. So they control the uh, access uh, to the place uh, in a, how shall I say, efficient and civilized manner to get most of the people that are coming through and make the uh, the passage through the area as seamless as possible without overcrowding and leading to other complications. And of course, they have introdu- introduced uh, exciting events like the Wingsuit World Championship, uh, given the uh, lay of the land and the height and the valleys and the mountains over there, and Parker competitions uh, that aim to provide diverse tourism products and enhance uh, visitor experiences even further. And of course, the success reflects the efforts to adapt to the changing tourism dynamics and create a more vibrant destination experience. So uh, they are smart uh, and uh, they've got a lift there bar that built into the into the mountainside that takes you right down into the valley and if you're one of those that doesn't have uh, you know if you suffer from vertigo and all that then uh, that's a no-no you must stay away from that area Beautiful indeed, Abad. And now, whilst you're talking, uh, the late Ibrahim Gengat uh, Raymola comes to my mind. Yes, I, I can see there. He, <laughs> yeah, and he's, he's whispering in my ear now. He said, Go and ask Ibrahim Vadachia the moments about we had together mm-hmm. in China. Share some moments, Ba, you and the legendary Ibrahim Gengat Raymola. Hey, I'm trying to think back now. What, what year was that? I think it was most probably around 2003, 2004. That, yes, yes. Yeah, and uh, at that time, China was somewhat of an unknown quantity to South African uh, travelers and things like that. And uh, of course, we were one of the uh, pioneers uh, to open up that route, the Canton Fair and things like that. And uh, that was uh, the first uh, Islamic uh, tour that we took to China. And uh, we, of course, visited uh, the length and breadth of China and we uh, aimed it purely at the uh, Muslim community uh, just to give them an overview and an insight onto how how Islam went to China and uh, all the masjids and places like that that uh, were still uh, very much, uh, you know, well kept and maintained and frequented by the local community. I'm not sure what it is like now, Bhavid, with the... uh, uh, you know, the uh, pogrom on the Muslims and things like that in uh, Western China and things like that. I'm not sure, but uh, the place that uh, stood out for me there was when we went to, uh, I think it's Xi'an, yeah, where the terracotta warriors are. A big Muslim concentration there, and there's a, a masjid there that looks very much like a Chinese garden. You wouldn't say or wouldn't imagine that that is a masjid. And the good thing about the that uh, uh, manner in which they operate their bar is that if you go to any mosque here in South Africa, you'll be lucky if you find the Muazin or the Bangi or whatever they call over there, and precious little else if it's not uh, Salah time. 
There they have like offices that are, you know, part and parcel of the main buildings. They have a secretary that is there and they'll have someone to entertain you. They'll have like a library there and things like that. And very, very accommodating and very welcoming. And uh, they'll have an interpreter. They'll find one somewhere. <laughs> and uh, we, were, we were very fortunate in the sense that we could even, uh, you know, uh, converse with them, share our thoughts and ideas and uh, feelings. And uh, we went uh, to Juma over there and was very humble. Uh, you know, they have this straw mat, what we call chatais and things like that on an earthen floor. Uh, but what was uh, quite uh, uh, captivating was that if you looked from, uh, you know, from uh, right to left, you'd find the entire Quran that was carved into the wooden uh, sort of facade on the inside of the mosque. And uh, very beautifully done and tastefully done. And of course, they made place for us to go right to the front and sit, even though we were a little bit late because of traffic. And uh, after the uh, Salah, everyone stays, everyone reads all the uh, Sunnah after the Juma Parv. And uh, then the Imam will go and stand at the door and everyone will file out in an orderly fashion, shaking his hand and, you know, just having a word exchanging pleasantries and moving on. Very unlike here. I thought that was very, uh, you know, civilized, really, in the manner in which they conducted. And then they took us for lunch and we had a chance to talk. And uh, it was it was quite interesting, you know, and the thing is I'd love to be able to go back there and do that again, maybe differently after having uh, experienced what is out there and uh, to make it even more uh, interesting. But yeah, it was a lovely tour and something that will linger long in my mind. No, I'm glad uh, we shared it. And whilst you were there with Ibrahim, I had to stand in. How long you all been? For about three weeks, ba? Mm-hmm. And yeah, three weeks I had to stand in. Yeah, about khair. 21 days, yeah. And yeah, they, and then uh, you used to do a report. Yeah. Six hours I day. think you did a morning so report from there. Over, we would cross over, I think, around 2 o'clock uh, Chinese time. That would uh, be, you know, in uh, the morning over here. So, uh, yeah. Uh, those are the memories, Abba. And Jazakallah Khaira for sharing that. Where else uh, you looked at Turkey and China welcoming visitors and breaking records. Hey, <laughs> the Saudi denies entry to uh, 177 uh, passengers uh, on board. Hey, airpiece hey. uh, flight from, I mean, the Saudis. If it is a, a flight full of Ukrainians and... Uh, Americans, they said, welcome. You got no papers, so you can come. You no, can go right. anywhere. I mean, oh, no. Abba? <laughs> yeah, that's what they'll tell them, exactly. exactly. <laughs> On a more serious note, Ba, <laughs> these poor passengers got a gabra there, but they yeah. eventually took some. Mm. I'm not sure exactly what. There must be some uh, issue or the other there that is not making sense to me. And uh, anyway, just to get down to the subject matter, it was a flight that was operated by Airpeace out of uh, Nigeria, carrying 264 passengers to Saudi Arabia. And uh, it had to return after the authorities cancelled the entry visas of 177 passengers. And uh, of course, uh, only 87 passengers were allowed out of the 264 apparently after they reissued the visa for those 87 passengers and allowed them entry. And apparently this was a trip for Umrah. And uh, 
I don't know. I, like I said, you know, uh, from a travel perspective, it's not making sense to me because the, there's no way they're going to give you a visa on a one-way ticket to begin with. Nobody, no, no embassy in the world does that. And uh, they went there with visas, as uh, I mentioned just now. And uh, they said, oh, no, these visas are not quite right. And they sort of allegedly stated that, oh, the 177 passengers that were refused entry were traveling on a one-way ticket, which I really don't believe, right? And uh, that that is what happened over there, Bar, unfortunately. And uh, I think the, if the airline didn't get fined, they would be very lucky because normally when you bring in passengers that are not quite, uh, you know, fit for entry and don't have the right visa or shouldn't be coming there, they get fined and put on the same flight and sent right back home again. And I think this is what happened to those 177 passengers. And however, there are conflicting reports uh, that suggest the passengers went through the, what we, we used to be called APIS, it's now called uh, APPS, A-P-P-S, which is Advanced Passenger Pre-Screening System. So basically what it is, you punch in all the details, like if I am going all my passport and visa and all the other nonsense, flying, air tickets, accommodation, everything else is logged onto the system. So they cannot they cannot uh, sort of say at this stage that they didn't know who's coming and they are coming on a one-way ticket and things. It's just not washing. It's just not making sense to me. So whatever the reason was, Allah knows and they know best. I don't want to get involved with that. And... Uh, of course, they say the incident highlights the importance of adherence to visa regulations. Again, I don't know, it's just six of one and half a dozen of the other. And I don't think for one minute that those uh, uh, people that were uh, with the airline itself didn't know exactly what they were doing. They did. And this is just one of those anomalies that one has grown accustomed to experiencing, you know, whenever one chooses to go to the, that destination. Yeah, that's why when you go to that destination, you go that tried and tested, like Ibrahim Bar. Ibrahim Bar, you look at the time. It's already 13 minutes, Bar. No. Uh, your, uh, yeah, you're, you're rounding a, a round up at your parting words, Bar. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, look, uh, it's okay. We managed to speak a lot about other matters. Uh, the thing is, uh, given the current circumstances, especially in the Middle East right now, I came across this thing. It's a uh, it's uh, very opposite, uh, you know, uh, in the circumstances. If you'll allow me just a minute, I'll read it to you. Uh, it says, uh, come you masters of war, you that build all the guns, you that build the death planes, you that build all the big bombs, you that hide behind walls, you that hide behind desks. I just want you to know I can see through your masks. Let me ask you one question. Is your money that good? Will it buy you forgiveness? Do you think that it could? I think you will find when your debt takes its toll that all the money you made will never buy back your soul. Now, what made it more appealing and interesting that I thought I'd share with you? This was written by the famous songwriter and singer Bob Dylan, would you believe? Yeah, he's a big uh, uh, activist, you know, pro-Palestinian yeah, and, uh, and and you know, this is just uh, laying it out on the line there that they think they'll have everything this world can offer them, but in the final analysis, they'll be the losers ultimately. 
and any celebrity that backs the, uh, the Palestinian issue, they tell you, all right, we're putting you out of our business and so yes. forth. But, uh, you know, Wallahu khayru razikin, Allah, the best okay. of providers. Ba, absolutely brilliant in your company. You have a, mashallah, beautiful evening ahead. And inshallah, we'll talk to you soon, Ba. Inshallah, I look forward to that. So let me leave you and our listeners out there with a very hearty assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Walaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh to our Ibrahim Ban. I'd like to thank Nukolo for top take this evening. Keep it locked on to uh, Marcus Sahaba for beautiful programming. From the team and I, till we meet you again, we bid you salamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.